Is there a particular like passage or or story that you've put into one of your books? I know you kind of just uh, referenced an omoplata, but was there like a passage where there was some action or something to it where you were kind of like, yeah, it's kind of dope. I'm, I'm pretty proud of what I did right there with my martial arts training. Oh, there are a few. Um, I remember I had to like, I think for my second novel, which was like, uh, I, I don't know how much of a like, early 2000s anime nerd you were growing up but i watched like a lot of mecha anime with like the giant robots that fight each other so i decided to write books about that as an adult there was like this whole subplot involving this whole tournament involving like people piloting giant robots that fight each other in this very pacific rim-esque way um and i was trying to like figure out what to like make them do to to keep the the scene interesting and i was like well they're like made of metal or it's like there's only there's only so much that you can do with like kicking and punching and i was like oh i'll make the robots grapple each other that'll be fun um and i think i got away with having like several paragraphs of just like this elaborate like robot grappling exchange (laughs) between these two pilots and i thought for sure my editor was going to make me cut it but i think at that point she had figured out that i was kind of weird and like had just given up on me and my like strange martial arts quirks and was like, you know what? It moves the plot along. It's like fairly entertaining. We'll keep the grappling robots in there. Like, sure, you needed a fight scene there. Like that works. What is up, everybody? It is your friendly neighborhood BJJ podcaster, Rafa Sparza, coming to you with another great installment of The Grappling Hour. How are you doing today? I am doing well. So well, I am over-articulating my words. And that is how you know that I am in a good mood. No slurring. Came back from work. We got a great episode that is coming your way shortly. But before we get to our guest, a couple quick little things. First and foremost, if you like this show, and I hope you do, and you wanna support the show, the easiest way that you can do that is you can go on over to high.page backslash grappling hour. But Raph, what do you get if you go there? (laughs) Don't worry, I will tell you. What you do is you go there, you get 30 days before anybody else, all of these interviews, you get to see them, you support the show, and more importantly, you get some of these really, really good interviews. And it looks like coming up right now, we're gonna have a lot of ADCC uh, trials winners from the East Coast who are gonna be coming on the show. So. Get excited about that because uh, a few friends of ours are returning and we're making some new friends. So there's nothing funnier than I like than when I can hit up a friend like Alex Rodriguez Enriquez and say, you know the deal. You got to come back on. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I go, okay, great, great. As long as you're aware, there is a little, little bit of a tradition here. Plus, if you pay a few extra dollars, you can get extra bonus content like extra episodes that aren't available anywhere else as well as technique breakdowns. We'd call those tape studies with the athletes about prominent matches that they've done or prominent fights because we get some UFC fighters, Bellator fighters, and local fighters within the regional scene out here in Southern California to teach us a little bit about what they're doing. And of course, you could see a segment where people roast my competition footage because I'll tell you this much, they might be better at jujitsu, 
but funnier, it's still out there. So anyway, go to high.page backslash grappling hour. Additionally, you can also like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff here. And uh, we'll tell you something to put in the comments in a few seconds, but hold on that one. And of course, join our Discord where we like to preview and get a lot of stuff going on that extends the conversations we have here on the show. All right, I'm excited about this guest here today. Here's why. There are so few of us in the jiu-jitsu landscape. And what do I mean by that? I mean those of us who do the media side, those of us who cover the people, the athletes, and we kind of know each other. We don't always get together. There's not like a Christmas little holiday party where we all get to see each other. But I always like to know the other people who are doing good work, not just writing the stories, but helping to tell those stories that maybe you don't know or give you the information and interviews that you could see elsewhere. So imagine my surprise when I do this little dog and pony show here and I see that somebody is able to balance their jujitsu with writing books and still have time to compete. And I barely do two of those things. So I guess I have to say, when you're going to bring on a guest, you want to bring on somebody who's going to teach you not only how to th strive and thrive, but maybe also give us some pointers as to how you're able to balance all of those things. Because I'll tell you this much, when I do these interviews, the last thing that I want to do after training and the interviews is write. So why don't we go ahead and welcome an author, a jiu-jitsu competitor, athlete, and of course, a wonderful and respected member of the media through their work with the Jiu-Jitsu Times. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show for the very first time, one, Andrea Tang. Andrea, how are you doing? Doing great. That was quite the flattering intro. Thank you so much. I have to be honest with you. I was thinking about this on the drive here. It was just, I've thought about doing books and I'm never closing that door. But I've just found this lane because it works for me. And the times <laughs> I've tried to do jujitsu, I've tried to do all these interviews and then sat down to try and write something has exhausted me more than any other medium. So we'll start with this. Why are you killing yourself? And where <laughs> do you find the time to do that? Oh, man. I mean, I think it helps that I started pretty young. Like I was always like a big book nerd growing up. Um, so I grew up reading a lot and as a result, I wanted to write a lot. Um, so I think I just like, I don't know, like a lot of these like teen phenoms who start super young, like, I think it was just like sort of part of my mental muscle memory to do a lot of writing growing up. So it was ne like, it was always normalized for me. And like, that's not to say that I don't drag my feet about it now. Cause let me tell you, when you see me on deadline, there's a lot of procrastination and executive dysfunction going on at all times. Um, but I like to think that like, as, as an adult, I've learned to, to manage my time somewhat better. Um, and it was good getting that head start when I was a nerdy kid reading a lot of fantasy novels. <laughs> well, let's get straight to the, the whole way you're, you're composing these things. Do you write before or after you train on a given day? Because I'm assuming training happens fairly often, but let's say on a given day, you're going to train and write. Which happens first? Uh, that's a good question. Um, it depends on when in the day I'm, I'm training. I kind of like, I go back and forth. I was saying this to somebody else where like the two almost complement each other for me. So like I'll often start the day with doing like 
a little bit of writing, a little bit of admin. I'll like go to like noon class or something. I'll come back. I'll like pound out some more of my word count. Um, I might go for like a second class or go for a lift or something, but like, I don't know. I kind of like those little physical breaks in my writing day. Cause writing is my main source of income. Like that is what I spend the majority of my time doing. Um, and jujitsu is a really lovely supplement to that. Um, but like, I don't know, something I'm sure you're familiar with this as well. Like it's after like, kind of like slaving away over a document at your desk for hours on end, it's actually kind of a relief to, to get into the gym and get some training in. Uh, so it's kind of a chicken or the egg question for me. I tend to, I, I really do just like toggle back and forth depending on the, the demands of the day. Cause I found in my experience, so there was a, a moment where, writing was one of my main sources of income for, for a good while. And I found that I had a cheat code because, uh, for one of my beats, it was the sports beat and the entertainment beat. So I was always like, well, I'm going to write about jujitsu and then I'm going to go train jujitsu. And that wasn't as hard, but then when it became, all right, now try to write an additional thing about this jujitsu athlete or this, uh, this tournament and explain it to layman. So I was like, Oh, I gotta, okay, I gotta explain <laughs> the whole reason why IBJJF kind of tests one person, but they don't care about these other people. I think at the job, I think it was one of the meow brothers, uh, tested positive, And then I was trying to explain the hilarity of them saying, well, their defense was that it wasn't in their native language. And I thought that was one of the more creative things. And you know, it worked in both my favors because you'd tell them that and they're like, that's funny, write that. And I go, great. And then on certain days, they'd be like, hey, why are you leaving right now? And I'm like, I got to go train. If I don't, if I don't train this. The joys of the double life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I found my balance between the two. But the actual thought of putting together a novel or, or even any kind of supplementary writing has proven very difficult for me. So I should ask this because I want people to get a, a full perspective on what it is that you do. Do you find yourself incorporating elements of your jiu-jitsu into your writing uh, outside of just the jiu-jitsu times ones? So for these very sci-fi oriented novels and the, these very sci-fi oriented stories that you're telling, are you implementing elements of jiu-jitsu? And if so, how? Oh, a hundred percent. I think that like, I don't know. I, I think when you, when you do any form of creative storytelling, the things that you love and are kind of obsessed with inevitably make their way into the work, whether you want them to or not. Um, so yes, there are multiple, multiple jujitsu and MMA references in my work, whether or not the story itself has anything to do with fighting. Uh, I think, and like, I mean, I'm lucky in that I write a lot of like action adventures. So I kind of have an excuse to like write fight scenes, which is like a very natural way to incorporate that. Um, I do occasionally get some like very confused margin notes from like my editor or agent. It's just like, wait, what is happening in this scene? And I'm like, oh, that's right. I, I need to find a way to like describe an omoplata to somebody who does not know what that is in a way that will not like horribly slow down the pace of this scene. Um, but yeah, no, again, I'm like really, really fortunate in that I like write in a genre that's like very martial arts friendly. Uh, but yeah, I will find literally any excuse to incorporate it. I was listening to a little bit of a, I don't think it was an interview format per se. It was more of a conversation between you 
and another author, and she was talking about her kickboxing experience. And it felt like you guys could have had a whole side conversation about that. But you were like, right, right, books, books, and how does it relate to the story? <laughs> but I, I related to that so much, too, because I go, oh, man, if I was ever promoting a book, I'm pretty sure I'd be like, dude, the fights this weekend were terrible. And we're like, Raph, blog your book. Right, right, right. Yep, fights, yep. fights in my book. Relatable but, content right there. <laughs> but to me, when I saw you guys doing that, I thought that's so cool that you find a different way to channel a lot of that creativity. And it does show the fact that you're thinking about the moves in ways that I tell people like there's mental drilling as well, where you're kind of daydreaming about the moves and you're kind right. of thinking about it. So I'm like, Oh, they're doing it on a very professional level and finding a way to get paid for that daydreaming of their techniques and memorization. I was like, the rest of us have to figure out a racket like this. So I'm working <laughs> on it for myself, but is there a particular like passage or, or story that you've put into one of your books or your stories where you, you kind of mentioned, I know you kind of just, uh, referenced in Oma Plata, but was there like a passage where there was some action or something to it where you were kind of like, yeah, it's kind of dope. I'm, I'm pretty proud of what I did right there with my martial arts training and, and how I described it. Oh gosh. Yeah, no, there are a few. Um, I remember I had to like, I think for my second novel, which was like, uh, I, I don't know how much of a like early 2000s anime nerd you were growing up but i watched like a lot of mecha anime with like the giant robots that fight each other so i decided to write books about that as an adult um and so in my in my second novel i was supposed to like do this like there was like this whole subplot involving this whole tournament involving like people piloting giant robots that fight each other in this very Pacific Rim-esque way. Um, and I was trying to like figure out what to like make them do to, to keep the, the scene interesting. And I was like, well, they're like made of metal or it's like, there's only, there's only so much that you can do with like kicking and punching. And I was like, Oh, I'll make the robots grapple each other. That'll be fun. Um, and I think I got away with having like several paragraphs of just like, this elaborate like robot grappling exchange <laughs> between these two pilots. And I thought for sure my editor was going to make me cut it. But I think at that point she had figured out that I was kind of weird and like had just given up on me and my like strange martial arts quirks and was like, you know what? It moves the plot along. It's like fairly entertaining. We'll keep the grappling robots in there. Like, sure, you needed a fight scene there. Like, that works. Like, I just, I want to point this out. You're blowing my mind because I wasn't quite early 2000s anime. I was more Voltron growing up and was obsessed. Like, the fact when these guys would come together and they'd make a giant robot, my brain was like, yes, this is the best. So by the time Power Rangers comes out, I'm like, oh, Voltron? Okay, whatever. And you start to realize you're like, okay, every 10 years or so, there's a new iteration of something, and it gets you used to it. But my biggest complaint about Power Rangers was always like the very stiff acting right. that they had to do in those suits, where you're thinking to yourself, they're like, of course no grappling could happen, because they're, they're limited by the range of how they're interpreting those characters to move. So when you mentioned that you have this grappling element to it. All I'm thinking of in my head is I'm like, yeah, you're right. Pacific Rim, but even Pacific Rim didn't really implement that. So that's a nice thing that you were putting on top of it and that you're adding uh, to this element. So that's, that's a very cool thing. Uh, don't, don't I run away from that. Robots, a, a technical upgrade so they can move a little more. <laughs> <smoothly that way. laughs> 
like I said, there was always, you know, we have our certain things that we like to make fun of, especially for the Power Rangers, which was always the villain that just waited very, very patiently for them to format and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so whenever I see somebody kind of give something new, I go, yeah, dude, I would have been stomping that thing when it still had legs and been like, you guys can't form. Let's just break this little pterodactyl and we'll be fine. <laughs> so for me, when I hear that, it makes me think like, yeah, that's an actual useful version of our sport in a creative form. What has been the feedback that you have received from your novels? And and have you had anybody in the jiu-jitsu community who has read it because I always feel like when people do side projects in jiu-jitsu and MMA, I kind of try to support them or at least find out about it. But have you had people within the jiu-jitsu community kind of be like, yo, I read your book and like, I'm a giant nerd about anime too. That was really dope. <laughs> well, the most noteworthy example I can think of is actually my predecessor at the Jiu-Jitsu Times, who's a good friend of mine, Avery Clements, who also, sorry to out you, Avery, is also a giant anime nerd, just like me. You should... Our, our DMs are full of evidence of this. Um, but she, I remember she picked up my second book and was reading through it. And every time she like came across something that was like a, like not super obvious jujitsu reference, but like if you train, like you'll kind of be like, Oh, okay. This was written by somebody who trains. She would like screenshot it and DM it to me and be like, I see what you did there. Like when <laughs> they're talking about the lapel grips, like on the training suits that that's from gi training. Right. And I was like, yeah, called me out again, Avery. I mean, here's the thing. Avery is very hard to get something past because she is she's very bright. And, uh, you know, I love the fact that even though she's not within the realm of covering jiu-jitsu and MMA, and I'm a little pissed that, you know, she's not here because she was very good. And it was very nice to have good people like her fighting this fight, you know, whenever we're like, hey, we need somebody to cover this very, very sophisticated thing but who also isn't afraid to call somebody out. She was one of those people. So oh yeah, a hundred percent, like absolute hero in the industry. And so to me, you think about that and you go, okay, well in her free time, she's going to read this. I'm pretty sure she's going to have her wits about her and be like, and that is a drop Sanagi. <laughs> nice try. Uh, Literally though. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, that, that's got to be a very, very cool thing to see. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that that is going on. Um, we're going to get to your jiu-jitsu like, background and experience, but I do want to know a little bit more about these novels. So you have one that's coming out in November and then another one coming out in February. The one that's coming out in November is Kingdom of Without, correct? Yes. Okay. Can you do me a favor? Can you tell me like what is the basis of this? Um, is this an expansion of your first novel, which I believe is called Rebel Wing? Uh, no. So this is a total mm. standalone project. Um, it is it is still science fiction. It still kind of has those cyberpunk vibes. Um, but the basic pitch is that it is based on like an alternate history timeline set in Beijing. It's like a world where like the final... Um, Grand Shikai, who like declared himself emperor, like right, kind of like on the cusp of the 20th century, um, who did not succeed in actual real life to establish the dynasty that he wanted to. Um, but in the timeline of this novel, he did. And so like the dynastic era has kind of continued well past modern day 
in Beijing. And so there's this kind of like, it's like a futuristic cyberpunk world, but it's infused with a lot of like kind of high fantasy elements that you have like a royal court and intrigue and all of that. Um, and the plot is essentially like this Ocean's Eleven heist um, in which this like down on her luck young thief who like lives on sort of like the outer edges of the city is hired uh, by this group of university students who want to break out um, the leader of this like previous political rebellion um, that like stood against, you know, dynastic overreach and all of these like kind of like political inequalities that were happening in the city. Um, no one really knows what happened to her, but they've got a lead and they want to like basically prison break her. They need a cat burglar to kind of join their little crew of miscreants. And so my heroine is like, all right, well, I need to make rent. So sure. Um, this sounds great. And that kind of kicks off the plot. So it's like, it's a little bit Ocean's Eleven. It's a little bit high fantasy. It's a little bit cyberpunk. It's like, a re it's a really fun genre mashup to play with. Well, that's really cool. I mean, listen, you, you had me once you just mentioned Ocean's Eleven. Like yeah. <laughs> I, anytime I hear that, I, I'm a huge fan of that genre. So that would definitely pull me in. Um, I am very, very happy to hear though, that you have one back to back. So it was the one in February kind of like an extension of that. Is that the one that continues the story or, or how does that one work? Because so one in February is like another standalone. So like these are actually from two separate publishers. My agent was, I don't know how she did this, but she was very clever the way that she negotiated my contracts because Kingdom of Without is a project I'm doing with Simon and Schuster. Um, my fourth novel, These Deadly Prophecies, is with my, I guess my main publisher, which is Penguin. Um, and that one is actually going to be my first like proper fantasy novel. Most of my work has technically been science fiction so far, even though I will contend that there's a very thin line between science fiction and fantasy. Um, but These Deadly Prophecies is modern day fantasy. It is inspired by my obsession with the movie Knives Out. It is a modern murder mystery about a family of magicians. Uh, so again, that's another like fun little genre mashup there where it's kind of like fantasy meets whodunit. So here's what I'm loving about hearing all these different things. Your imagination gets to go somewhere for, let's say, six months or however long it's taking you to write these things. Or, you know, you can kind of escape. But then the thing I relate to is the version of my art, especially when I do these in, uh, interviews and whatnot, is once I'm done, I kind of want to do something else. So, like, once <laughs> I'm done with this, I don't love doing the clips. Like, I love the interviews. But like the last thing I want to do is like spend two to three hours doing the clips while I'm trying to set up the next one. So it, to me, I'm always like, oh, I'm ready for the next one. Let's do the next interview. Oh, cool. This is a person. Let's get to know them and let's do research. Let's do that. For you, it sounds like you create this world. You have this wonderful imagination to help expand and, and make that work. And then you go, cool. That was fun. Now let's explore a heist. All right, cool. Now that we're doing that, we're going to explore fantasy but we're gonna start mixing and mashing just kind of where it feels like you want to go at that given time yeah yeah basically um yeah i don't know i i love i don't know again like i've always been a big genre nerd i love exploring different ways of kind of like combining familiar elements i love a good genre mashup I love the kind of like fluidity that you get, especially in speculative fiction, like science fiction and fantasy. So that, yeah. So you definitely see me, like, I think you see like 
similar elements popping up a lot between my books. See above, I write a lot of action adventure, big martial arts nerd here. Um, but yeah, no, I like getting to play with different story structures pretty much every time. Um, I have some friends who have done like full on, like, like the, the classic sort of like brick tome, like fant- epic fantasy trilogy. That's like a zillion pages of book. And you have to like, you, pr- you, you spend years of your life, like turning out those series. Um, and they do a fantastic job with them, but like, I, I'll never say never. I don't know if I would necessarily have the attention span for that. So that's why you see me kind of putting out shorter books, um, mostly standalones. Occasionally I'll do like a companion novel or a sequel or a prequel. Um, But for the most part, I don't foresee myself doing like a giant epic series. Um, Mad respect to people who can pull it off though. Yeah. Again, I can't say this enough, especially for my brain. I love people who can create those worlds, but I also have some kind of weird aversion to hearing like the Game of Thrones guy, Martin, just being like, yeah, I'm not done. I'm not done. Uh, And I go, dude, at some (laughs) point you got to hand it off. Like you can't just tell me that this thing's not finished when they're spending millions of dollars creating this show. What's happening? What goes on here? And it's like, ah, man, I'm still... I'm only like 200 pages in. I don't even know where it goes. And I go, all right, dude, just, just talk to us when you have it ready. Like do your thing, go off. But uh, yeah, no, these explorations sound great. I want to know this though. So four books, how long did it take you to do all four of those books? Oh gosh. <laughs> now we're getting to my war stories here. So the first one was in some ways the easiest. Cause like, at least when you're trying to break into traditional publishing, like your debut is the hardest. Cause like you have no connections in the industry. You don't have an agent. You don't have an editor. You're like, literally like you have like, you have all like the, the silver lining is this means you also have no real obligations or deadlines. You have all the time in the world to just like put together your manuscript, but it does need to be like a complete manuscript. Like, at least most of the time, unless you're extremely, extremely lucky. Um, you need like a full book that's like reasonably polished that you can then start like shopping around to agents and they may or may not give you the time of day based on like the first like 10 pages that you'll send in like your query letter and you'll send a bunch of these. Um, and then if you're lucky, like an agent will sign you. And then if you're even luckier, your agent will be able to sell your work to like a a decent sized house that'll give you an advance. So there's like a whole song and dance there. Um, but you do have time. So like with rebel wing, like, I think I, that was, I was writing it with no deadlines. Like I was, I just had a day job and was writing it in my spare time. Um, I had like made attempts at writing novels in the past. See above nerdy kids spent most of my childhood trying to write stories. Um, so it was definitely not my first rodeo. Um, but it was like one of several like attempted novels that I had done. And it was like the one that I felt the best about. Like, I was like, I think this might be like, I don't know. I've said this in the past, but like, I think this might be the one, like this might be the one that gets my foot in the door. Let's see where this goes. But I think like that whole process was like, maybe like to, to finish and polish that first draft. I want to say it was like a little over a year. Um, And then after that, though, when I did sign with, like, you know, I did, you know, very fortunately attract the interest of a few different agents, signed with one of them. She did successfully sell the book to Penguin. Um, 
after that, and I, I had a contract and my editor was like, great, I paid you a bunch of money for this book. Now we need to do rewrites and revisions so that this is actually marketable to the public. So after that whole year of drafting it, like I think I wound up cutting like over 10,000 words of it and just like rewriting entire chapters from scratch. So that was another, like, I think like maybe one to two year process publishing moves pretty slowly. And you'll like, it's not just one revision either. You'll get like one big revision. That's like very, bird's eye point of view and then you'll get like another revision that's like a little more nitty gritty and then you'll get into copy edits and light edits like it's all it's a whole whole thing uh and while i was revising rebel wing i had i my agent had sold the book in a two book deal and the and i and so i also owed them a second book and that was the first book that i actually had to be on deadline for so while i was revising my debut novel i was also in the process of like kind of like discussing with my editor a what the second book would be and b figuring out a timeline for like when i could deliver the first draft of the manuscript um so the second book i kind of had to speed write i think i like did like the first terrible zero draft like within like definitely like in under a year i think um and then again that there was like the whole long like revision process so all in all i think at least for me, and I think this is probably the average in the industry, it's like, like maybe a little, it, it can be, if you're factoring in the first draft, the second draft, the third draft, it's going to be like a two to three year process to, from like when you have, like you're staring at like the blank word document to seeing your book on shelves. Um, but like that first draft once you're on deadline will generally happen very quickly, at least if you want your editor to continue being happy to work with you <laughs> and giving you money. <laughs> that is generally the conceit. I would hope yes. uh, that you are, you are making the money. So that is good. Right. They, they will expect, I mean, like any other job, right. They will expect certain deliverables in exchange for the check that they have paid. you. I mean, like, listen though, it's very hard to explain to people how, you have this gift and this skill that you hone when you're a writer and that your whole basis of making money is on being able to produce that writing. And there are times where try as you best can, it's not always going to be your best work. You're just like, this is some garbage and I have to hand it to you and I'm sorry. And then you look at them and you're like, it'll just, it'll come give me a second. So I've told people, I'm like, obviously you can do it. It's just like drilling. You can definitely put it in your right. head, but you're also going to have those moments where you're having those breakthroughs, but you don't know when those things come. Like, so managing that as best you can is a, it's a tricky, delicate balancing. Oh yeah. No, a hundred percent. Like often, like, I think like if I'm dealing with writer's block or just like distracted by other things or have something just like there are a million different reasons why you might not be producing your best work at any given moment. But like, there's so many moments where I'm like, all right, I have a choice between turning in something that's just not good and not really up to standard or turning in nothing and turning in something bad is always better than turning in nothing. Cause at least when you've turned in something bad, you have like garbage that can generally be salvaged. If you, at least if you have a good editor that you vibe with, um, I think like the jujitsu metaphor is actually a good one. Like I'm sure we've all had like those like days in class where like you roll and you do terribly and your coach is watching you and you like before, before he even says anything, like you make eye contact and you're just like, I'm so sorry. 
like I, I know that was that was not my best performance. I, you know, like I didn't sleep well. I, you know, I'm feeling shitty today. Like there are a million different excuses that you can make, but you're just like, I am so sorry. I, I will do better next. You know, I, I'll, I'll get my head on right. Um, and sometimes it's like that with like kind of repping out like a bad draft. Sometimes we're like, I think I have sent in manuscripts to my editor who has like all of my editors have actually been very kind about this. I'm fortunate in that respect where like I've, I've sent it in at like 1am and there's like a note attached to the email where I'm just like, so I have already identified like these like five problems with what I just sent you. I'm aware of them. I'm sure you'll find more problems. I'm so sorry. I, I really just wanted to get this in under deadline. Um, I would love your feedback on how I can solve some of these problems. I have a few ideas of my own, but I think that's going to be a second draft problem once we've gotten your feedback on it in much the same way. Like when you go to your coach and you're just like, so I already know I did like these like three things completely incorrectly in that. Like I just made many strategic errors. I'm sure you saw other things I did badly that I didn't notice. Um, but I wanted to get your feedback on that before we like really dissect everything that I screwed up just now. Yeah. I had to work really hard when I was a young kid to not just give the, I know, I know uh, answer. I had to <laughs> learn how to use my words to say, I am aware that I am not doing what I want to do. And the perfectionist in me will have to take a breather because I'm working on it. And you know, the coaches would always be like, all right, dude, you're going through shit. I'm like, no, yeah. I think this is a healthy version of telling you I'm not happy, but I also recognize I'm still going to work on it. And uh, I had to check my whoop here because I could feel my anxiety raising, uh, arising as you were kind of like describing your process of like, it's 1am, I'm sending you their script and I've already given myself my notes. You're welcome. Wake up in the morning. Let me know what you think of it, but I've already identified it. Anyway, talk to you later. So <laughs> you always want to be yes, I know you will be unhappy with this. Like, like I think like my worst nightmare, like my like this is probably my ego getting involved. It's like I just don't want my editor to think that I think that that was good. Right. <laughs> like right. I want them to be aware <laughs> that I do have standards. I'm just unable to meet them at the moment. Yeah, I, I do that a lot with video editing. Uh, so with my my area for video editing, if I give somebody something, it, let's say it's a short edit, great. Much easier to fix, but sometimes they want crazy things. So I'll send it to them and I'll go, just we'll talk about it tomorrow. And they'll be like, okay, great. If it's one that I'm especially mad at, I go, I don't want to talk about it. Here it is. We'll talk about it in person. Do not send me notes. We are talking about it in person. And then I literally just shut up and let them say whatever they want and just go, okay. <laughs> And I've, I've gotten so much better at that because uh, I used to compete in speech and debate and especially when I was a competitor, but I used to be a coach as well. But when I was a competitor, you want to explain why you're doing it wrong or incorrectly. Right. And then your coaches would be like, I'm trying to give you the note, shut up. And you go, oh, okay. So I yeah. learned to just go, okay, tell me what it is. And you take that feedback and then there's a certain moment where I would respond like I'd wait for everybody to give their critique. And I found that when I took that to my creative writing classes or to anywhere, even in jujitsu, there was a good response I got from at least sitting there and taking what they had to say and processing it. Even if I knew all the words that they were about to say, I go, all right, right. I'm not being a dick about this. It's not weird, but 
at the very least, I, I found my happy medium. Well, the reason why I, I bring up this juxtaposition of how long it took you to write these novels. So, you know, it's four different books. So even though we're like, yay, November 28th, can't wait for it. It's like, that didn't happen six months ago. That was, that was a long that time was, ago that, that you were was, putting that up together. Was, yes. <laughs> and yet still during that time, I've seen so much of your work at the Jiu-Jitsu Times you know, much like Avery, you guys are these workhorses that have put out so much work, so much content. And I wonder when you are looking at that and you are budgeting and you're trying to figure out what it is that you can contribute, I'm pretty sure we share this in common, which is, hey, I don't have a lot of time to do this for jujitsu, but when I do, I'm going to make it count. So when you're looking for stories or things to cover, what are the things that speak to you because you're on such a limited time? That's a fantastic question. Um, I'm fortunate in that I've like really made some wonderful contacts in the in industry with um, promoters and managers and sports agents who will often kind of clue me into like emerging stories. So it is really helpful kind of having that hack. Uh, but also like, I don't know, I, I find that I discover a lot of my best stories and like profile opportunities. Cause that's what I love the most is getting to do like a full profile story on an athlete. That's where I think I do a lot of my best work. Um, just from like talk, like being in the community and talking to people, like I, like I've got friends who will compete at really, really high levels who will say like, oh, hey, Andrea, like I was at Worlds and I saw like so-and-so emerging black belt, like had a fantastic run. Um, she's not getting a ton of coverage. Like you might want to reach out and talk to her. I think she's got a really compelling story. Like, you know, this is what she's been dealing with. This is what she's had to overcome. Like, I think like it would be great to get her some shine. So a lot of like, just like collecting little tips from being like dialed into the community and really like forging genuine relationships with people, I think is like, has been my easiest path to finding like really worthwhile narratives, I think, um, to publish. That's awesome because again, I, I noticed the people that you are covering, uh, a handful of whom are, are close to the show and friends. So there's a part of me that just gets excited when I see like, Oh, they deserve <laughs> that coverage. Cause the hard part for me is I don't do this with the expectation. Like, they compete at one, they're going to be on my show. Like, I hope that's what's going to happen, but sometimes mm -hmm. scheduling sucks or, you know, it's sometimes it's easier to do a digestible interview that you do for 20 minutes, you get the quotes and then you get like an actual like article that feels like, man, this is what they would normally get in any other sport, but there's only sure. a handful of people who are doing it. And if they are doing it, there's not always a high level of, proficiency. Sometimes they literally just vomit what somebody said on an Instagram post and go like, they said they broke their silence. They speak, they made a statement. And it's always like, we just copied that. What you're doing is from what I've seen. And, and part of the reason why I wanted to do the interview was I just saw you were creating these very nice profiles for these athletes that maybe I wouldn't say fall under the cracks, but they don't get what they would get in comparable sports. And that makes me always very, very pleased when I see somebody who has that kind of scope and breadth as a writer who does other work to bring that to our sport, because I think it legitimizes us that much more. So from that, what have been some of your favorite profiles to write and, and who have been some of your favorite 
uh, people to interview in our sport so far because I've looked at your bylines and there's a murderer's row of people that I have seen <laughs> that you've talked to that I thought, man, yeah, that, that's pretty good. Yeah. Oh man. It's so hard to pick favorites. I've actually, I've been so fortunate in my interview experiences and in that I've just had an absolute blast talking to most of these athletes. Um, they've been like really, really lovely people um, to chat with for the most part. It's a lot of fun picking their brains off the top of my head. Maybe this is because we were just chatting about her like before we came on the podcast, but Tubby Aliquin is so much fun to interview. Um, I think I like told you before we started recording that like one of her like many many dogs like came and like interrupted when i was chatting with her and like we went off on a whole tangent about like this little farm that she like raises of like her chickens her dogs her buddies and like and while like at the time i was like oh this is really fun but i'm like kind of I'm, I'm allowing myself to be like distracted from like the main story i'm supposed to be covering which is like your one championship debut uh i, I feel like i wound up adding a lot of like really humanizing color to that story because i was like there are only so many articles that people want to click on that are just like, ah, yes, another jujitsu phenom has submitted everybody and is going to says they are going to definitely submit their next opponent. And they're so excited for this opportunity with X, Y, Z major promotion or tournament, like blah, 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 blah. They all kind of start to sound same, same after a while. And so having somebody like Tubby, just as a random example, I can think of a lot of athletes that are like this, but like Tubby, just to pull her up as an example, like, that, that it's not just that she's a phenomenal jiu-jitsu athlete, which she is. It's like, this is also somebody with like a life and a backstory and like a whole context around her jiu-jitsu where it's like, yes, she has all of these like chickens who all have names. She has like these, this pack of dogs that she's taking care of. Like she like, you know, she balances essentially like running a small farm out of her house with also like running a jujitsu gym. Like we were, we were talking earlier about how hard it is for us to like find work-life balance. Imagine being her, right? Like, um, and so stories like that, I think are the ones that really stand out to me because they, they're, they very, they very naturally humanize the athlete. Like I think some of the best feedback I've gotten on some of my stories are from people who don't even do jujitsu. They just like click on my byline because they know about me from my books or they're friends of mine or, and I've shared it on social media and they'll be like, yeah, I read it because I wanted to like support you and see what you were up to. And I don't know anything about jujitsu. I don't know anything about MMA, but I read that whole profile piece and this person sounds super cool. And now, even though I'm not like invent, like, even though I don't know anything about the sport, it made me like want to like kind of root for them and their career and like see what they're up to. And I feel like, that is the highest praise that you can get, especially as a writer in like a sport like ours to like attract attention from people who aren't just like mat rats, you know, like people who can look at jujitsu athletes and be like, wow, these are really cool, admirable people. And I want to know more about them and I want to see what they're doing. Well, I think it, it comes down to such a digestible thing, which is in our sport, people see patterns. So when they see a pattern, they go, oh, Conor McGregor blueprint yeah, that dude's trash. And then you engage in that. And that's just not as exciting after the 40th reiteration of it, because it's a copy of a copy of a copy where now it's literally, they are leaving the parts that say insert insulting adjective in their, their captions right. and their posts. And when I f see other people kind of presented in ways that are, Oh, I didn't know that about them. That's actually kind of cool. Cause for me, what's very helpful when I'm doing these interviews, you know, I try to do a little bit of research 
And then I have to be very open to just throwing it out and just saying, okay, here's where we're going. Because if you saw that farm and you saw her explaining it, you go, no, 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 this is where we're going to stick. This is better. And I just find that even when I've, I've read a couple of your profiles, uh, I've looked at them and I'm like, oh, cool. That's a good thing to expand upon. Like now I'm going to take that thing and maybe ask them a couple questions here. So it has been very helpful because I don't like asking questions that every other podcast asks if I can help it because yeah. there are some yeah. that are a little bit more, you have to, but then at a certain point I go, great, now we're going full off script. Tell me about you, the person. And sometimes they're like, I don't, I'm not a person. I just do a show up on the mat. And you're like, I guarantee you there's something weird, quirky, interesting, great about you that has nothing to do with your half guard. So it's just <laughs> trying to pull that layer. Uh, every little clue that I can get helps. Even if it means I, I'm, I'm searching their Instagram for like a little nugget of something. But uh, I would like to know, how did you get involved with the Jiu-Jitsu Times? Uh, so obviously you were doing writing elsewhere, but how were they able to pull you in and bring you in? Because, um, you know, between, again, you, Avery, they've had some really, really strong writers that you just think of and you go, well, thank God that exists. Oh, thank you so much, first of all. Like, that is extremely kind to say. Uh, second of all, I got to tip my hat again to my girl, Avery. Uh, I credit her entirely um, with the opportunity. It was actually like the origin story of how I got involved with the Jiu-Jitsu Times actually coincides exactly with the origin story of my like to this day, like very strong friendship with Avery herself because we didn't know each other. I had like read some of her work. Like she was like, I, I think I was like, like, late in my white belt, early in my blue belt, something like that. And I was like in that phase of being like really like super in love with jujitsu because it was like shiny and exciting. And I was like reading about it all the time. And she was one of the writers that I had bookmarked to follow because her content was so good. It was like incisive and witty. And like there was such a great variety of it where she did like those hilarious like like parody articles but she also covered like breaking news and did these really insightful interviews so i was just like follow like she was just somebody that i like she was a byline from the internet that i just like clicked on because i associated her name with like good content and like this thing that i really liked um and i think i was on twitter one day back when it was still twitter and like i had made some joke i think about like a netflix show i was watching it might have been queen's gambit i think um and my agent had retweeted it uh, because she thought that my joke was funny. And then Avery quote tweeted and responded to it with like a jujitsu reference. And I saw, I got the notification that she had quote tweeted me. And I was like, oh, wow, that's like the, the girl that I, that I, who's right, who's jujitsu writing. I like, so I like responded to her jujitsu joke with a jujitsu joke of my own. And she was like, wait, Andrea Tang, you, you do jujitsu as well. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. no, like I, I love jujitsu. And she was, and, and it turned out like, she knew my agent because she like has those connections in the publishing world as well. And like knew of me as a writer, but like had no idea that we also had this other thing in common. And so naturally we started chatting with each other and we really hit it off. We found out we had a ton of other stuff in common. And then like eventually it got to the point where she was like, Hey, have you ever thought about maybe doing some like combat sports journalism? And I was like, I'm not a trained journalist. Like I, I, I don't, 
I don't think I have the credentials for it. And she was like, ah, it's hilarious that you think you need credentials for this. <laughs> um, she was like, no, no, no. I also did not go to journalism school or any of this. I learned a lot of this on the fly. I'm self-taught. I guarantee you'll pick it up. I can help you out. I can mentor you. Um, but yeah, let me introduce you to the owner of the Jiu-Jitsu Times. Like, we'll, we'll get you started on a few small articles. We'll see if you like it. Um, and if you do, like, we would love to have more hands on deck. Um, and that was, that was kind of my gateway. So again, Avery, if you're listening to this, thank you so much. Um, you really opened a lot of doors for me. What a fortuitous sort of talent scouting that just happened there, because a few things happened that went well. First, that just that random interaction just happened to coincide and then when you're like, I don't think I'm a trained journalist. And by the way, yes, a very funny joke. It's also, it's funny and sad. So you have to acknowledge both of them because like I said, we don't have people who have gone to journalism school. I myself, I did go, uh, I started going to journalism school, but I found speech and debate and I really, really like that. So I, I thought for years I was always going to be a journalist. So cut to me doing this stuff and interviewing people and then being bound by certain rules and going, mm, you can't do this. Mm, you can't do this. <laughs> While the wild, wild west of people who cover our sport are like, I don't even care. That dude's my best friend. Anyway, dude, uh, no problems here. And you go, this is very strange. So I, I tried to have a, a certain set of rules that I applied for myself. So I think what Avery was speaking to is more of a temperament. Because I think that you can learn the skills for attribution and what you can and cannot say. And yes, of course, certain words are going to be a little bit better than others and certain words keep you in the clear. But like, if you're already writing, it's more than most people on our sport. So uh, I always, always gravitate to those other writers that I go, hey, you sure fooled me because it looks like you know this stuff. And the beautiful <laughs> part about it is as long as you have a good editor you do start to pick up things. You do start to kind of learn like, oh, hey, this is the way we do this. This is our style guide. So if that stuff's already in place and you're a good writer, those things can very quickly come. Yeah. Together. And like, I think like having good mentorship is really helpful too. Cause like, again, as much as like Avery and I might joke about like the, let's say the quality control standards in, in the coverage of our sport, um, she, she did, she, you know, she sat through a lot of like long anxious DMs from me that were like, am I violating journalistic ethics? If I like quote this thing and like attribute this thing to this source, but like, am I allowed to ask this athlete this question or is that going to create a conflict of interest? And she was, and she was like very, very patient with me in terms of like her take on things as somebody who was also very, like she herself was very painstakingly self-taught. She really for somebody who technically didn't go to journalism school or go through formal training, I'm very impressed with like what she has been able to just like kind of learn about the craft on her own and like apply to her work. And like, I kind of got to benefit from the fruits of her labor really. Cause like she was able to like break down like, Hey, this is how I would handle it. Like, you know, if you really, really want to be like super certain, here's like another option that you can do. You can consult this person, yada, yada, yada. So it was like, it was just really helpful. I think having not only like a more experienced person who's done some journalism, but like a more experienced person who has specifically done like jujitsu and MMA journalism, which is sort of its own like niche within a niche um, to sort of like guide me 
and like give me a sense of like what was and wasn't normal and like what like first of all what was and wasn't normal and also like what might be considered normal by a lot of the industry but was not necessarily a standard that you want to abide by um so so again like i I know i keep on saying hats off to avery but like she she really is tremendous I think it's a very important thing to acknowledge those people who do good work. So I have no issue taking moments of that. And I I have to say one of my favorite moments uh, just in passing was, you know, she had told me for years, she's like, I didn't really want to do other podcasts. I I don't really like doing that stuff. And I go, I understand. And she was like, hey, but I wanted to come on because I wanted to do uh, coverage for, of course, what was a terrible time in jiu-jitsu. And she's like, and I said I would do your show. And I was like, hey, I take that as a high compliment. You know, I, I think people who see what other people do tend to have respect for a high wire act. Mm-hmm. And at the time when she was covering a very difficult topic, that self-taught was very well done because now you start to get into what is legally acceptable and, and what are right. the things that protect you and how do you protect your sources when some people don't want to go on the record. And especially within our sport, there are people that you know as a reporter or an interviewer, you're like, that's not true. Like what you can do is you can tell me what is your best interpretation of the truth. But Mm -hmm. if you know things, sometimes there are ways that you have to go. I for sure know that is not a fact because Mm -hmm. you have this scarred information or this kind of information. So I, I have respected her ability to navigate those very tough waters and uh, I appreciate the fact that she was able to do that. So, yes, she is uh, a very big friend and fan uh, from this side of our show. I would like to ask this. You mentioned it coincided with kind of your emergence into the jiu-jitsu world. But I would like to know, can you tell us about your jiu-jitsu origins? Do you remember, like, your first classes, if possible? Because we always like to get, when people appear on the show for the first time, their origin story on where jiu-jitsu entered their life. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, if you want to go way, way back, like I like was I grew up like kind of like dabbling in martial arts as a kid. Like a lot of my family members did it. So I did like the classic like 90s, like karate, taekwondo, all of that. And I really liked it. It was like one of the few sports that I actually like really enjoyed as like a like relatively unathletic child. Um, and so like as an adult who like was more into sports and fitness at this point, I was like, oh, I want to continue doing like martial arts or some kind of combat sport to like stay active because I spend so much time like scribbling behind a desk and I am of the temperament that starts to go insane if I sit still for too long. So I need to do something to kind of like keep my keep my body moving. Um and so, like, originally I was like, okay, I, I think I would like to do some striking. And so I, like, dabbled around with, like, a little bit of kickboxing, God, what have you. And I think, I like, I had a friend in one of those classes who, like, dragged me to a jiu-jitsu seminar uh, without me knowing anything about jiu-jitsu. And, like, I hated it at the time because there was no rolling. It was just explaining a lot of techniques that were probably, like, very exciting if you, like, knew anything about the sport. But to somebody who is completely uninitiated, you're just like, I have zero idea what is going on. I do not understand why somebody is, like, hunched over in this turtle position voluntarily. Why would you ever do that? Like, I don't know what a guard is. I'm very confused. Like, whatever. And at the end of the seminar, I was like, okay, well, I'm glad that was fun for my friend. I'm never coming back to this. I don't know why she likes it. Um, and then like a couple years later, um, I think I was like in a sparring session with like 
a few friends at like a, um, the gym that I was training at at the time who like cross trained in the jujitsu program. And I noticed that like, we could kind of like do like the, like the fun, like point karate, like touch sparring. But like, as soon as they like got into like clinch distance, there was like nothing that I could do to like stop them from just like taking me down and having their way with me. And I like, at this point I was like, all right, like it, it isn't even a matter of interest. It's like a matter of ego where I'm like, I just, I feel stupid now. And now I feel like I do need to like, learn a little bit about this like weird grappling thing just so I can understand what's happening. Um, and so I was like, all right, I'm going to go to like one of their jujitsu classes and see what's up. And I went and it was a normal jujitsu class that was beginner friendly and there was live rolling. And it was really the live rolling that sucked me in. Cause I was like, Oh, even though I'm really bad at this, this is fun. This is active. This is somewhat like physically intuitive. Um, I can see why people love this now. It's not just a bunch of like disconnected techniques that don't really make sense to somebody who's like never done the sport before there, there's like an entry point here where I can see what, how this is like an art form and an athlete and like an athletic practice that can really engage people. Um, so that was really, that's like the, the long story of what really hooked me. You strike me as somebody who processes things. So I think what your jujitsu journey had to include for you was this, I don't know if I like this. Nah, I don't know. I don't understand it, but I, let me understand this real quick. Let me figure this out. All right, I have an understanding of it, kind of. Oh, I see where the art is now. Okay, let's do this for real. So for right. me, I, yeah, I can kind of see that, that trajectory uh, for you because I think the best part for you is figuring out the game. And once you could figure out the game, you go, oh, this is why this is so addictive to people. And right. It's not far off from uh, most other people's journeys, but what's interesting about it is just the way you processed it and the way you said, ah, now I get it. All right, now you guys are all in trouble because give me mm, give me six months and then uh, I've come down. <laughs> I just like the idea that uh, for those of us, whenever we come in into this sport, for me, there was this whole idea, especially for wrestling, where I go, I think you got to be a tough guy to do this sport. And then once right. I was watching the ultimate fighter and I saw the jujitsu aspect, I go, Oh, I kind of see the chess element. It's barbaric in some ways when you get some dude who just is too good and too strong. Right. But then it becomes this thing to me where I'm like, but can I do that? Like it's a puzzle now. So right. can I figure this puzzle out or does it blow up on me? So to me, that's become my whole thing. So every time, like I have a, a student now, who he tells me, he's like, hey, coach. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, I want to see you roll with that tough guy. And I go, he fights, dude. Yeah, he, he would do very well. And he's like, I think you could take him, coach. And I go, you think that because you know me is the only coach you've ever seen. But like, <laughs> now that you've brought it up, all I can think about is how would I take that dude down? Like, now that you put it in my brain, now all I'm going to think about for the next day is, yeah, I'll roll with them. Yeah, sure. Okay, that's fine. Because you'll get new information. So I always right. tell people I am the Batman of our group. Um, <laughs> my job is mostly to figure out their weaknesses. And I have files and all these meta humans that I can go to. <laughs> and that if they ever break bad, I know how to kind of contain them, but I have, have no superpowers. Right in your desk drawer in case one of them goes rogue. Oh, so like if yeah. the, the D1 wrestler like decides to like wreck someone's day, you're like, all right, 
I know how to heal the kid. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> and they will tell you it is annoying because there are days when they're more frustrated because maybe I'm not beating them, but I've kept them trying to do stuff for far too long that they get frustrated and they'll quit. So I say that's part one of why I'm Batman uh, in our sport. The part two is uh, I'm jujitsu rich because I have a job. So <laughs> those two reasons. Uh, I, everybody's I'm like, y'all's a Superman. You're Wonder Woman. You're all these crazy, strong people. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I have no superpowers except kind of this. And sometimes this goes. But uh, yeah, I do find yeah, that is. Right a, a bank account can take you a long way in the jujitsu community. Yeah, but here's the here, the best part about it is though I'm like a fake smart person like legitimately <laughs> I look the part I know how smart I am in glasses. certain aspects but I also know that like if something broke bad and somebody said we need to figure this out I am not that guy like I will help <laughs> but I will go to the experts and I will defer to their knowledge and maybe that makes me street smart but like no I'm not figuring out the chemistry. Yeah, well, you're, you're, you're Batman, right? You're not Reed Richards here, so. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, I'm, crossing, I'm crossing Marvel and DC universes It's now, okay, because in Marvel, I'm more Iron Man, um, yeah. but it gets a little weird when you start trying to build things. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't really do that. I go, but uh, I have bought things for the team. So I guess again, jujitsu rich where I'm like, I bought dinner and that's what makes me guys. We're very, hey, poor. there you go. There you go. But it's funny that you mentioned like the way that you approach jujitsu from that very like process, like let me figure out your strengths and weaknesses kind of side of it. Cause like, uh, like the other thing I like that, comes to mind is the fact that like I think I cottoned on to this even when I was a white belt I was like I now understand my friends who like play video games for like a million hours in one weekend because like I wasn't really a gamer growing up like I think like being like a comics and fantasy nerd I was like video game nerd adjacent but like I didn't have like a console growing up so I didn't really know anything about games I would just watch my friends play and I was like oh those animations are pretty that's cool um but like, I don't really get it. Like, I don't like, I, I like sitting there and like watching my show. I don't want to have to work to find out what happens next in the story. So I didn't really get it. And then I started doing jujitsu and I was like, I now understand why people get obsessed with gaming. Cause when I have a bad role, which was very frequently as a white belt, like every time I like got tapped or wound up in like a bad position that I specifically had told myself I was going to avoid and then promptly got put into by like a blue or purple belt. Like the first thought that would go through my mind is like, crap, how, okay. I want to like go back to my last save point in this role and like start over again. Like not from the beginning. I just want to go back to like when I was like doing well and, and replay this entire sequence because I messed it up and now I'm mad. And like, and so of course I would like tap out and we would slap up and we would roll again. And I'd be like, oh, this time, this time I'm going to, I'm going to not mess up the same way I did in the last play. And like at a certain point I was like, oh, I'm a gamer now. Like this is, this is how my video game nerd friends react whenever they like lose at a level. Absolutely. You, you respawned and you're back in the same position. You're going to do live positional sparring. We're going to go straight back to this position. And guess what? You're going to have to do You did it again. Okay. That was really not cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see how this goes. <laughs> I just, I, I, the reason why I enjoy it is that I tell people this has become my crossword puzzle. Like this keeps my brain yeah. active. It helps me process things. And what I have found is a certain kind of resiliency 
in places that if you have anxiety or you have anything crazy, you learn how to stay very calm. And mm -hmm. one thing that I've kind of had over my years is everybody goes, no, nah, Raph will be calm. And I go, it's a process. It's not just something that happens, you know, like it's not just me being like, well, not stressed about this. I go, I worry about it. I just have a good poker face that says, all right, <laughs> let me figure it out. Right. Yeah. This is what we're going to do. So I think that is a, a very nice way of, of kind of being so calm is that you go through all these bad moments in your training. You go, Oh, that sucked. But I also, I'm a big tape study guy. And as a result of that, when I show people their footage, I'll be like, Oh, Hey, by the way, you just did this and notice this, this, this. And they're like, Oh, you, you saw that. And I was like, well, I'm mostly looking for my stuff. Don't get me wrong. But if I see you in the corner <laughs> and I saw that you didn't do something that we very explicitly worked on, yeah, I'm going to be pissed and I'm going to zero in on it. And uh, they always laugh because I go, yeah, I, I try to keep an eye on everybody. And mm -hmm. so that way, when I see when we're going to work on something new, I know let's focus in on that. So right. yeah, it's it, so they'll be like, hey, send me the footage. And I was like, no, I'm not sending any of this because I do not want to see any of it on your stupid Instagrams. I do not want to see you guys putting highlight clips. I go, the only time you ever see me put up something is if something really dumb happens and I'm going to meme it. Other than that, <laughs> we don't highlight real our friends here. Uh, I do want to ask this because this is like a hallmark question on this show, which is, of course, you have your first days where you enjoy it, the first days where you're starting to do it. But to actually do it is kind of a career or at least something that takes up more than just a hobby element is a very, very important thing in our lives. So when did you actually fall in love with grappling? And if so, do you have kind of a specific memory of when it started to click in and you go, yeah, I like this more as just something I do randomly here and there? I mean, I got hooked pretty early on. Like I was one of those white belts that like got very gung-ho about it very quickly and like went from like being like, I'll come in like a couple times a week to being like, what if I came in three times? What about four times? Is there a fifth class? And like, kind of just like gradually, like kind of sucked me in. I think the turning point for me was maybe like early in blue belt. Cause like I did like one tournament at white belt. I really liked it. And then like COVID shut everything down for a while. And I was like, Oh man, um, actually I think that might've been my, my almost like come to Jesus moment where I was like, wow, I really love this thing. Cause like, I was like deeply upset to like not have like tournaments and like, you know, a full gym of teammates available to me. And I think like the absence of it, like forced me to reckon with like the fact that I was kind of obsessed with it. Um, and, uh, but like fast forward when things started opening up again, event, like I got back into training, got my blue belt and I was like, okay, I'm going to try competing again. I'm a little more experienced. Like the only tournament I had done at white belt was a local when I was like six months in and didn't really know what was happening. I just did it because I wanted to see what it was like. So I like, I think I like lost like six zero or something. And my great claim to, to success was not being brutally submitted uh, despite being utterly steamrolled in every other way. Um, but I was like, okay, I have a little more experience now. I understand a little bit more about the game. Let's like, let's do like another tournament. That's a little bit higher level um, in a like more advanced division now and like, see what it's like. And I did it. Um, and I did much better that time. And I was like, Oh, this is kind of fun. And then it, like, again, it's the video game thing. Then it became addictive because every time I won matches, that was really exciting. And every time I lost, it wasn't that I was, like, like 
horribly upset. I think I'm uh, like one thing I will brag about is that I think that I am actually genuinely a pretty gracious loser for the most part. Um, but I would have that like video game response of like, well, now I need to play it again and see what I can do differently to like not lose this time. And so before you know it, you're racking up like all these tournament fees. Cause you just like, you get really into like going in and like testing yourself and like also just like the excitement of going up against people that you wouldn't normally go up against and just finding out what would happen. Um, so I would say like, I think somewhere between late white belt and like early blue belt was when like, I really got bitten by the bug. Okay. You said something that I haven't thought about for anybody else, but I don't know too many people who are writing books. It's you, Alexander Darwin, who's a longtime friend of the show as well. So Bless Alex, I love him to death. He's so cool. He's, he was so funny because he had pitched, uh, doing a book plug when we were doing verbal, verbal tap, which was just audio. And he's like, mm -hmm. yeah. And I go, sure, dude. I don't know if there's a market, I don't know what we do for you, but like, obviously you do jujitsu. So come on and talk about it. And, uh, obviously he's done pretty okay for himself. So <laughs> very happy for his success. But what you did just mention here though, is you mentioned you're, you're, you're building up fees for tournaments. I say, turn that into an opportunity rash guard with the book on the back, <laughs> when people can buy it and where they can buy it, write it off. So that way you can bill it on over your publishers. And they're like, I did actually promote the book while competing. This is my invoice. Uh, just you, it's okay. Get to it when you can, but this will just, it's my redemptions. And, uh, I kept all my receipts. So I will have to get my publicist at penguin on the phone immediately. Clearly. <laughs> and it didn't work out pretty well. Speaking of Alex Darwin, have you seen the combat codes ranked rash guards from inverted gear? I have. I have one of them. They're actually very slickly designed. Like when I saw those, I was like, this would be like my dream to have like a line of rash guards. That's just like themed after my work. I, I don't think you're that far off. If you're already starting to build these worlds, you're going to have more opportunities. And the thing that you've got is you're going to be able to brand each one of them. So they're going to be their own experiences. <laughs> so like, don't just sell it short there. You'll be like, well, we got rash guards here, but uh, we've also got uh, rebel wing uh, armbar soap. Huh? That's a thing. <laughs> Look at this. And of course, oh, no, no, no. Rebel wing is also available in, a gi because you get the wingspan right here. So you do that. So yeah, do you like the, the inner lining artwork with like the dragon wings? <laughs> it's just the opportunities are endless. It's just for me, uh, it's very fun to see what people do with things mm -hmm. so much further down the line because I don't always know what's going to happen. I don't know which guests are always going to blow up. You just go in and treat them exactly the same. And you try to pull out the best in that moment. And for him, when he was doing it, I was like, well, he's selling his book. He's great. Like, I don't have to worry about stuff. He has written something. So there's something physical that people can revisit. And right. that this is an evergreen episode. So I think, you know, what sucked is the only thing that happened. I want to say that he had asked to come back and plug like part two of his books or something like that. And it went to one of our spam folders. And no. years later, I felt so bad. And I don't know that I've even talked to him about this, but like. Well, now I, he's going to find out if he listens to this episode. I mean, so. maybe, but <laughs> if, if he hasn't come to the point where he's like, forget Raph, 
I got this nice rash guard money now. We don't talk. No, I, I know that we, he likes some of our stuff every once in a while, but it just, it made me feel so angry in how, for whatever reason, either I didn't respond to it. And if I did respond to it, I swear to God, I probably was sleepwalking or something, but I, I have a good feeling I did not. So anyway, long story short, you're joining good company and who knows, maybe in a few years, you got your own rash guards. I'm sure the way things go, uh, it could be sooner than later. Um, hey, I want to start. <laughs> I want to start winding down, but I did want to kind of point out a few things uh, before we did. The the biggest of which is this: is that you recently also won within the past couple of years. It was pans. You also are a pans winner, so you were able to parlay that competition into success. And you strike me as somebody who you do recognize your own competitive nature. And as you just mentioned, you can lose graciously, but there's an element of wanting to prove to yourself that you can do those things. So what did it mean to kind of accomplish that to somebody whose brain is wired to try and be the best version of yourself at all times? I mean, it was really, I mean, of course it was super, super exciting. Um, like I, I am a rookie purple belt. I only got my purple um, I think it was this past February. Um, and then like, I, I'd been thinking that I wanted to jump into like some of the IBJJF majors for a while, but I was like a little afraid of doing it. I had only done local tournaments at Bluebelt. Um, but I talked to my coach, Scott Dance about it. And he was like, yeah, no, I, I, I think you have the skills for it. We just, you know, you, it's just something you're going to have to commit to. Um, and then I discovered as many women often do that a lot of your competitive opportunities kind of start drying up on the local scene. Once you hit purple, I think if you like get to like purple, brown, black, like as a female competitor, it's just like, if you're really lucky, you might get like one or two people in your bracket. Like you might have like, uh, like if you're like a 125 per pound purple belt, you might have like the 145 pound black belt that they'll match up with you. Who's like the only other female jiu-jitsu athlete, like above blue belt that they can find for you. Um, so like, so that also kind of spurred me to, to want to start doing some, some IBJJF. Um, and I think what was exciting was that I was able to get out there and do it. Um, and that like, I don't know, I feel like I kind of like unlocked something in myself because for so long, I've been like, like in my head, like doing an IBJJF major, even at like, I mean, I, I'm a master's one competitor. So it wasn't even like I was in like these like elite professional divisions with like the adult purple, brown, whatever belts who are, who are often making a career out of this. But like, I, you know, I mean, the, the M1 competitors are still very, very good, especially if they're going to the majors and especially if they've, they've hit purple belt. Um, and so I think even just like getting out there and realizing that I could like hang with the girls in my bracket to an extent who I like really admire as athletes was just something that was like very personally affirming for me. Um, and I think was, was something that I hoped that I, that I still hope uh, will hopefully like kind of like pave the way for like other, other girls in the sport, especially at my gym. Um, that you can kind of go out there and do these like really exciting things on like a big stage. Yeah. I tell people this all the time, uh, competition for old people because I'm in masters three. It is essentially like you hug before you compete off the <laughs> mats because you're just happy somebody made the division. So you right. literally are like, and now we kind of see each other a few times and I only recently started competing. 
So I, I have friends in the community, obviously, from doing this for so long. But now they're kind of like, oh, cool, you're competing. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, and against me. And I go, oh, really? Is that what's happening? Like, you have this moment where you go, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. This yeah, has never no, been I an issue say, before. Honestly, I made some good friends in the, like, so I've also done IBJJF Opens at the adult level. And, like, I actually really enjoyed those, too. Like, I had a couple TV boppers in my division who were absolute phenoms. But it was cool getting matches with them. We're still Instagram friends to this day. Like... It's yeah. I feel like it's like it's like whether you're adult or masters, it doesn't matter. Like you, you just like you form really amazing friendships on the tournament circuit. I think from what I have learned from both interviewing and doing it, and yet I have yet to do a, an IBJJF. I was thinking about doing it, but I was like, ah, dude, I just you know the the sign up. I just hate how it's long it has process. to take. <laughs> like it is like your your IBJJF ID. Like my teammates and I joke about it. It is kind of like getting your passport. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and we don't have like a DMV that you can go to to like stand in line forever. It's just a process that goes. Yes, maybe. No, nah, it's not a real gym. You know, like all those things where you go. I just want to compete. I just want to get take my money so I right. can go do the thing. Um, but I, I've told people. That when you see that process and you see the people who are competing in it, I think the one thing that everybody shares and the reason why it becomes this very interesting experience is that they all understand each other on at least a practical level. Like everybody kind of understands the workload that goes into it. So whether you like them for the next seven to 10 minutes or not, when it's all said and done, everybody kind of goes like, yeah, I, I do the same prep that you're doing or I have the same mentality of, I want to come in and win. But once that's done, you know, Hey man, we can, we can go grab an site, you know, like, Oh, right. Hey, what's your Instagram? I want to follow you too. Cause I want to see what you've been up to because when I want to see what you're lifting. So when you see those things, I think it, it forms a, a bond in ways that is our version of, of making social friends. So, I, uh, I very much understand that, but, um, how about this? I want to do this right now. I want to give you an opportunity to go ahead and plug whatever you want to plug. I'm going to put the camera on you. So obviously take care of your books, but I also want to give you an opportunity to shout out your team, your sponsors, anybody you want to camera is totally on you. So feel free to plug and shout out anybody you would like to right now. Oh man. All right. Pressure's on. Let's, Let's let's hope that I remember everyone. It's like when I have to like write out my acknowledgments at the end of a book, and I'm like, I hope I remembered my whole publishing team. But yeah, no. Without further ado, um, I train out of District Martial Arts here in Arlington, right outside of Washington D.C. Uh, really proud to be coached by a wonderful black belt and Scott Dance, um, along with the rest of the DMA team. Um, it's it's been a tremendous experience getting to rep them especially most recently winning pans and nationals under the DMA banner has been really exciting. Um, and in addition to that, uh, plugging the books here, which are conveniently behind me, uh, I have arcs here, uh, kingdom of without, which is out in November, these deadly prophecies out in February. And then if you are interested in my backlist, I have rebel wing and its companion novel renegade flight right here. Um, all of them should be available, uh, pretty much wherever books are sold. I always support buying from your local indie bookstore. If you can, I'm a big fan of small businesses and giving back to the community that you are a part of. Um, 
But if you want to go through a Barnes and Noble retailer or anywhere else, that's also totally fine. Um, just, just, um, yeah, go, go with where, wherever you can, you can support the, the buying and selling of books. Um, gosh, now I'm trying. Oh yeah. Uh, I would like to shout out my agent, Tao Lee, who's does amazing work and has continued to find really amazing opportunities for me in the publishing world. Obviously we already thanked Avery who first got me into writing for the jujitsu times and covering this wild zany amazing sport um and yeah to everybody that i either train with um or write with um you guys are all amazing um you do incredible work um either behind the keyboard or on the mats or in some cases like avery's both um and i have all of the admiration in the world for you um you guys are are the reason why i'm able to continue self-improving every day in all aspects of life so thank you for that well, I have to say, Andrea, thank you so much for taking time out to chat today. I'm very happy to see the person behind the bylines is not just an awesome writer, but it seems like your jiu-jitsu journey has been so fun, and I'm so glad that you were able to share that with us. So all I have to say really is just keep up the good work because I love when I see people who deserve good acknowledgments in the community being given those profiles by people like you. So it's both wonderful to see you putting out consistent, great work and our friends continue to get those moments. So you are very much contributing a great, great amount to our sport. And I hope that people get to know the people behind that kind of great writing. Thank you so much. That means the world. Well, I'm going to say bye to you off air. I'm going to do a quick little close off and then uh, I will chat with you off air. But my thanks to you. Thank you so much for coming through today. Thank you. All right, you guys. You know, I think that's going to do it for us. Just a couple quick reminders. You know the deal. If you want to give us some love and support, you can go on over to high.page backslash. Where am I? Right over here. Bam. Check that out. You can go on over to high.page backslash grappling hour. If you want to support this show, you can see interviews 30 days before anybody else. I'm telling you, you want to see them 30 days before anybody else, because guess what? They'll have gone on to win two or three other things, and you might have missed out on some important information by being a lame who doesn't want to support this show. Five bucks a month, 30 days before anybody else. Also, if you want to pay a few extra dollars so you can see extra bonus content not available anywhere else, you can also check out our mini-sodes, our tape studies, and a segment that we like to call Roast Raft, where people roast my competition footage. I actually like the tape studies better, but everybody else likes the ones where I get roasted. If you pay, you can pick whatever you want. I really don't care at that point. So go support us. Hi.page backslash grappling hour. You can also back to host. Bam. Check out that editing. You can also go on over to support us in the comment section, like share, subscribe. And in the comment section, put down your favorite sci-fi novel. If you don't have one, sci-fi movie because let's face it not all of us read you should but you, you know what i mean like I, I know my audience pretty well so you can do that and join us on our discord where we continue conversations like this in that realm that's going to do it for us you guys it's been a great day for grappling we'll see you back on the mats